You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The government of India works on Athar security, suspending many officials' access. Fancy Bear doxes the IOC. A WhatsApp snooping proof of concept is revealed. Spectre and meltdown patching continues. The U.S. House votes to reauthorize Section 702 surveillance. The Senate is considering its own version. On the FBI's unwanted list, jerks and evil geniuses. And they're scowling in the direction of Cupertino. And conflating Bitcoin with Bitcoin Cash could have been an e-commerce issue. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, January 11th, 2018. India continues to deal with breach concerns surrounding the country's Athar database. Many in the press are calling the comprehensive national identity system too big to succeed as it offers the ill-disposed a target so big, a billion-plus individuals enrolled, that it's impossible to resist. It also presents administrators with an attack surface arguably too difficult to defend. The apparent breach is thought to have arisen from abuse or misuse of privileged accounts. The government is sorting the system out. One early step in doing so has been suspension of some 8,000 officials' access to Athar. We've seen many reports of South Korean companies being fished with well-timed and well-crafted Winter Olympics bait, but there are other capers being cut during the run-up to the Olympiad. The Rio games were afflicted with a lot of retaliatory doxing when Russian competitors were kicked out for doping. The South Korean Winter Games are apparently going to be no different. Fancy Bear is out of hibernation and has been grubbing up International Olympic Committee emails and releasing them in what's evidently an effort to discredit the International Athletic Anti-Doping Program. And why? Well, last month, the IOC banned the Russian team from competing because it decided there was just too much performance enhancement going on. Clean Russian athletes are welcome to show up and compete as individuals under the five-ringed Olympic flag, but the white, blue, and red Russian tricolor will neither be worn, displayed, nor paraded. Any Russian athletes who take gold will be celebrated on the stand with the Olympic anthem, Bugler's Dream, and not Russia, Our Holy Nation, the melody of which listeners of a certain age will remember as Indissoluble Union of Free Republics. This is seriously a shame, and it would be nice to have Russians compete as Russia, Expect more Fancy Bear sightings over the coming month, however, since Fancy doesn't tend to forgive and forget, letting bygones be bygones. Researchers at Ruhr University Bochum report that WhatsApp group chats are vulnerable to infiltration and snooping by uninvited parties. NVIDIA has released patches for its GPU that are inspired by Spectre, but it also says that Spectre really isn't a problem for its system. 
IBM is carefully preparing meltdown inspector patches with all deliberate speed. They should be out early in February. Microsoft warns that now and henceforth antivirus software must be compatible with its Spectre and Meltdown patches. If not, systems with incompatible security products won't be getting updates from Redmond. EY recently released the latest version of their annual Global Information Security Survey. Shelley Westman is a principal at EY in cybersecurity, and she joins us to run the numbers. Most organizations feel they're at increased risk today versus 12 months ago, and that's for several reasons. First of all, cyber attacks are getting more sophisticated, as we know, those of us in the industry. But on top of that, organizations are being more connected than ever when we look at things like IoT and digital. In fact, what's very interesting is that the World Economic Forum rated a large-scale cybersecurity breach as one of the five most serious risks in the world. Hmm. So with that as a little bit of backdrop, what we found is that, you know, the mounting threat requires a more robust response, and this year's GISS reveals that many organizations are continuing to increase their spending on cybersecurity. 59% of them, those surveyed, say that their budgets have increased versus 12 months ago. 87% say they need up to 50% more budget than they have. But here's the important number. Only 12% expect to get an increase of more than 25%. What we found from the survey is quite troubling, is that many organizations are waiting until the worst happens to get an increase in budget. 76% said a breach that causes damage will allow them to get increased resources. But 64% also said an attack that doesn't appear to cause harm would be unlikely to increase the budget. This is higher than last year and concerning because damage will be done in attack whether or not it's apparent at first glance. So these attacks could be a way to test the setup of a company or to take attention away and divert it from another attack that's going on. You know, one of the things that caught my eye was uh, there was a a statistic that 32% of boards, only 32% of boards, have sufficient cybersecurity knowledge for effective oversight of cyber risks. Now, that's interesting to me because something I've heard in the past certainly year or so is that Uh, cybersecurity is getting more attention from boards, but uh, the numbers here don't bear that out. First of all, only 50% of the organizations that we surveyed report out to the board. Boards still can be intimidated to ask a question on cybersecurity. Some boards have a CISO that's coming in and reporting to them, hey, we stopped 10,000 attacks today. Is that good? Is that bad? Right? Was there 10,001? Was there 15,000 attacks that needed to be stopped and 5,000 of them got through? So some boards are still not finding enough courage, if you will, or gumption to ask the hard questions of the CISO and ask them to put that into English. And that could be a problem. In fact, 89% of the respondents in this survey have said that the security function in their organization doesn't fully meet the organizational needs. And then you couple that in with what we're seeing around the board, and that can definitely lead to ramifications. And one of our top pieces of advice is you've got to make sure you've planned out crisis management. 
And so when you think about it, if there's an emergency that's going on, if there's firefighters running to a fire, if there's nurses that know and doctors that know what to do, they know how to do this because they've actually prepared for a breach. Companies that don't prepare for a breach or that just have a written plan written down but not practiced do not do well when a breach actually occurs because they waste too much time figuring out what to do. So one of our top recommendations is really make sure you're rehearsing what to do. What do you do if all of your networks go down? Do you have written cards that tell you where to find someone's phone number? All of us rely on the network to look somebody up. If that's not there, how do we get in touch with them? Who's going to talk to the media? Who's going to alert the board? How quick can the board be pulled together? If there's ransomware involved, who's going to decide whether you're going to pay the ransomware? All of these scenarios have to be thought out in advance because when you're facing a breach, there's simply not enough time to do that. That's Shelley Westman from EY. You can dig into all the numbers and find out more about their Global Information Security Survey on the EY website. The U.S. House of Representatives today passed its version of Section 702 surveillance reauthorization. The Senate will soon take up its own. Should that be passed, as most observers expect, a conference would determine a final version. The U.S. FBI continues its relatively lonely counteroffensive in the crypto wars. This time, Apple is the target, as a senior bureau official says Apple is a bunch of jerks and evil geniuses for encrypting iPhones in hard-to-break ways. Apple seems to be less jerky when in China. It's moving Chinese iCloud account data to servers in the Middle Kingdom. Coincidentally or not, FBI takedowns of cyber gangs dropped significantly in 2017 by about 90%. No reason for this is given, and the Bureau has declined comment on what the import of the drop may be, but it has said that on balance it's pleased with the progress it's made in building cyber law enforcement capability. Finally, a tip for those of you who are buying and selling cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash are not only not the same currency, but they have very different valuations. Overstock and Coinbase have fixed a website glitch that could have enabled people to buy things for pennies on the dollar. Their site had briefly confused the two. It was, as we say, a glitch, an oversight, since e-commerce and coin sites do know the difference, but it could have been costly. At the time of the oops, Bitcoin's volatile and swiftly fluctuating value was pegged at around $14,000, while Bitcoin Cash was at the same time worth only about $2,400. So, traders and techno-libertarians buy, sell, and speculate, but caveat emptor, and caveat vendor for that matter, hold on to your digital wallets. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off 
by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Joining me once again is Rick Howard. He's the Chief Security Officer at Palo Alto Networks. He also heads up Unit 42, which is their threat intel team. Rick, welcome back. Uh, We want to touch on machine learning and artificial intelligence uh, and uh, all of the fears we have of uh, Skynet becoming self-aware and and so forth. (laughs) But uh, before we do, let's just start with some definitions. Uh, What's your take on the difference between ML and AI? Well, you got that right. You know, it appears that AI and machine learning are the two latest favorite squares for your cybersecurity marketing bingo cards. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, but with all the hype, you know what the one question is that nobody is adequately addressing, okay? You know what it is? You mentioned it in the intro there. All right, go on. Is When is Skynet going to activate and kill all the humans? (laughs) That's what I'm worried about. Right. All right. So for the unenlightened non-sci-fi few, let me explain what that is. Skynet Skynet features prominently in the Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator movie franchise, and that all started back in the early 1980s. Okay. In the beginning, Skynet was a computer system designed to automatically control the military's response actions during a crisis. Okay, but at some point it becomes self-aware and decides that not only that humans are not necessary, we might be harmful and we need to be wiped out. All right, right. so that's the basis of the entire franchise. Yeah, and okay. we've got you know modern you know people like Elon Musk are, are sounding the siren that perhaps this is a serious concern. Exactly right, and so, uh, that's what and that's why everybody's talking about it. Like it's Stephen Hawking, Elon Musk, and Bill Gates have all said we need to be careful about this kind of potential future, right? right? And they say it might, you know, we're within, uh, it's in eyesight, right? Uh, probably before 2050, okay, that we might see real artificial intelligence systems. So we need to explain what that really is, okay? So we can understand why they are alarmed by applying a very simple test, okay? It's a thought experiment, if you will. It was devised by Alan Turing. It's called The Imitation Game. Did you see the movie? Uh, no, but I'm certainly familiar with Mr. Turing. Yeah, well, the movie is excellent. If you want a great explanation of what artificial intelligence is, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch plays Mr. Turing, and I thought he nailed it. All okay. right, uh, so go watch it. I recommend it highly. Okay, but so here's the game: uh, a judge asks a question of two subjects behind the screen. Okay, one subject is a human, and the other is a machine. And if the judge can't tell which subject is a human, 
and which one is the machine, then the machine, for all practical purposes, can think, right? So in the modern day, we see examples of machines starting to pass the Turing test in very specific knowledge domains, such as commercial flight autopilots, uh, video game opponent, which is really cool, I think, mm-hmm. and, and online computer support. There are other domains where they're almost there, okay, like self-driving cars like Tesla and personal assistants like Amazon's Alexa, right? So with these emerging AIs, humans can still tell that they're not quite there yet, but we can all see that it will not be very long until they get there. All right. right. So then what's the difference between artificial intelligence and machine learning? So machine learning is a software development technique used to teach a computer to do a task without explicitly telling the computer how to do it. I know that sounds weird, but that's what it is. Yeah. So when I learned how to program back in the day, okay, I had to think of every possible outcome for my program, right? And then tell the program what to do for each case is one of the reasons I really sucked at being a programmer. I was just not good at it. <laughs> yeah, ten, 10 print, Rick is awesome. 20, go to 10, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's my best program ever. <laughs> okay. Got an A on that assignment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so today developers are using big data techniques to search through large piles of data looking for patterns that a human would never notice. Okay, so in other words, we teach the program how to discover all the outcomes, and the big data is the key. Now, this technique would not work without very large collections of data, and it just turns out that right now it's possible for us to get access to these large piles. Sure. So as an example, okay, at Palo Alto Networks, we use machine learning to discover malicious files, files that bad guys send to victims in order to compromise and ravage their systems. Yep. So Palo Alto Networks has been in business for over 10 years. We have a giant collection of file patterns that have passed through our customers' firewalls. talking about petabytes of patterns, Hmm. right? So... We divide them into two buckets, known benign patterns and known malicious patterns, and our engineers then set their machine learning algorithms on the two piles of data. So with an over 98% accuracy rate, and without a human knowing what the program is looking for, our machine learning algorithms can guess whether a brand new file that we have never seen before is benign or malicious just by analyzing the characteristics of the file. So that passes the Turing test with flying colors, right? So... If we're going to get to a point where Skynet is possible, the singularity, it's called, uh, from science fiction uh, favorites out Mm -hmm. there, uh, it will have to contain hundreds, if not thousands, of machine learning algorithms running in conjunction with each other. Now, we are a long way from that being possible today, but we can see that the singularity is no longer just a sci-fi trope, okay? It is something that may be possible within our lifetimes. Now, I'm not saying that Skynet will actually wake up and kill us, okay? but as a society, we are rapidly approaching the time when the singularity will happen. So in the meantime, okay, get your marketing bingo, bingo cards ready. Okay? The AI and machine learning squares will be around for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think so. We've come a long way since I used to uh, talk to Eliza on my Apple II. So, yeah. All right, Rick Howard, as always, thanks for joining us. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. 
Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.